This is a podcast by Lumina, the perfect space to innovate, collaborate, and grow in health, science, and tech. Dr. Brent Richards, welcome to Health Tech Talks. You're a doctor and intensivist. You're a professor of critical care research and director of research commercialisation at Gold Coast Hospital and Health Service. You have appointments at both Griffith and Bond Universities, and you're the chair of the Queensland AI Hub Advisory Board and a medical advisor for a number of companies. And also, Brent, you're a mentor for the Lumina X Accelerator Program. It's really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. I'm not quite sure how you found the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Brent, I'd like to begin by chatting about your medical career. Why did you choose to study medicine and then ultimately intensive care? Look, studying medicine, the genesis of that's a bit fuzzy because I come from a non-medical family. My father was a pattern maker and a builder and my mother was a secretary, shorthand typist. But medicine was a career that you know, when you were doing well academically that the schools offered and put you in that place and so that's kind of where it started and also at that stage GPs were very well regarded and so doctors were well regarded in the community and so it was a combination of wanting to give back and to be intellectually challenging and so therefore I went into medicine and, and found my way through and looked at various specialties was looking at general medicine to start with and started training in general medicine but it didn't actually quite move fast enough for me I looked at anesthesia I looked at trauma surgery and then ended up in intensive care why because it moved fairly fast. It needed some fairly, fairly solid decisions, but also some people could manage to work in intensive care and some people couldn't. It's a pretty challenging environment for some. I found that I could do it, so I thought that it was appropriate that you know, I step into that space. You've moved down into the research path over time. What took you there? If medicine's to advance, it must keep generating new knowledge. We, we want to find a better way of doing things. And in many ways, it's that is that I kept looking at what we were doing. You go, there's got to be a a better way. We've got to be able to find a better way. And research is the primary pathway that's put up for that. Now, I also felt it was definitely a responsibility, particularly working in a tertiary organisation, that uh, research needs to be fundamental to what we do, because if a tertiary organisation is not doing research, then who is? So it was very important to me that research was a fundamental part of tertiary practice, because if we're going to do the best for our patients, it's about that we're in a continuous improvement environment. And as I said in the intro, Brent, you are the Medical Director of Research Commercialisation at Gold Coast University Hospital. What does that mean? What is research commercialisation? Most people think of it as commercialising research out. I see it in both ways, which is commercialising research in as well as out. I stood back a few years ago, started as Medical Director of Innovation, found AI and and then into research commercialisation because I thought innovation's fine, but we've actually got to do something with it, which is we've got to bring it in. And I started to realise there was quite a separation between researchers and innovators. Researchers and innovators are not necessarily the same person. Researchers tend to be on a very serial risk-averse process, looking at projects that runs years to decades, whereas innovators tend to be much more agile, looking at things that run months to years, and began to wonder if some of our issue in terms of translating research into practice was because we were focusing too much on the research side and not enough on the development and the innovation side. And that may be that we weren't giving the innovators 
or the people with a more innovative mindset, the opportunity to work with the researchers to bring that research into practice in a much more fast and coherent way. And I realised on my way through in all of my training, I mean, I've been an executive director, I was yeah, sitting across a $100 million budget, but I realised I didn't know how that world worked. And so I spent a lot of time trying to understand how the world of startups and SMEs works so that I could then see how we could start to really work in that research commercialisation space. And what about your particular research interests? What area have you been interested in? Most of my research has been around data. I've spent a lot of time in the world of, I'll call it commercial research, which is uh, doing research with big pharmaceutical companies, for example. Why? Firstly, it helped fund my other research because they, they pay for that. But also it taught me a lot about how to do research really, really well. When you look at the research that is done by these big companies, it's a pristine technique. It's done dotting every I, crossing every T. And so I learned an enormous amount about how to do research really well. And alongside that, the pragmatics of what was in there. As part of that, therefore, I helped to set up the intensive care clinical trials group uh, nationally. And again, because I felt that for research to progress, it was not going to be ones and twos. It needed to be tens and twenties and putting as many units together as possible. That's then led me into the world of data. And I wanted to get more and more out of the data. I actually, yeah, early on in my career, met um, a guy called Jack Zimmerman, who was one of the original founders of the Apache scoring system, which is acute physiological and chronic health evaluation scoring system. So it's a scoring system for severity of illness and the critically ill. And I thought, you're finally bringing some science to an area where there's a lot of opinion, but because there's not that many patients per unit, it becomes very hard to get the science to work. So the Apache started to crystallise who were the sicker patients and who were not from actually numbers. And I go, well, this is the power of the data and using the data and understanding the data. So I've always worked at that level to try and go into what does a multi-patient or multi-unit research look like and how can we use the power of the data. Brent, what's been your involvement in research commercialisation? So commercial research has been a large part of what I've done over the years, although much of that has been doing research for other people, which is how most people get exposed to that side of the business, which is working with, for example, large pharmaceutical companies and bringing in research projects so you can work in that space. Having worked in that space, I thought, there's got to be a better way of doing this such that as we get ideas that we can commercialise out. When I looked at it, I realised I had absolutely no training in that space, no understanding. And when I spoke to most of my research <laughs> colleagues, I realised they didn't either. They were all being asked to translate their research into practice, but they had no idea of the commercial aspects. And I'll use the term commercial on a very broad base, which is can I get someone to fund it in an ongoing basis? It produces a return on investment so that a health system will actually pick it up and run with it. And I realised I had no understanding of that space and therefore spent a lot of time talking to people about it, going along to hackathons and to datathons to see people how fast they could move and how they could think and move in that space and then to work alongside startups and small businesses in 
that space to better understand how that business worked. And then I got it to a certain level and realised that we really needed to teach people how to do this. And what we've done recently is we got a grant to do a clinician entrepreneurship course, which we're doing in collaboration with Griffith University Business School. So it's a step outside what most people would think, but we're doing it with the business school. We thought we'd get around 15 to 25 applicants, and we got 150 applicants with one broad email. So we clearly found a market, and about a third of those have got more than 15 years of experience in healthcare. Clearly, there's an unmet need, and it means some are in healthcare. We've actually left a lot on the table here because there's a big unmet need of people who want to work in this way, which we're not doing. So that's what we've done to actually make that move a little bit faster. Brent, you're also a mentor for the Lumina X Accelerator Program, a leading Australian accelerator run from the Lumina precinct here on the Gold Coast. The program provides comprehensive support to health tech startups. What's your mentor role in this program? So I help as many of these companies as I can to work between the how a healthcare system works and the product that they've got and to help them to refine their product and to refine their pitch and how they would then work in with an organisation. I've been fortunate also to work in with a lot of tech companies so therefore I can help them in terms of some of their technical view and some of that is an overview as to what tech might work within a large healthcare environment and what may not and what might be better to move outside of a major teaching hospital and to work in other healthcare environments. So my role is to sit there and help work through their concept, their ideas, try and refine it. At times it might be to shrink an idea down to a minimum viable product that can be delivered in a reasonable space of time that they can then sell to a funder somewhere along the way, a venture capitalist who then wants to invest that the message gets small enough that it's understandable enough and then they can grow from there. So it's very much, it's helping to breach that space between what can be a very good idea, but sometimes it's people either with very little health knowledge at all, or it can still be health people, but as I covered previously, with very little understanding about what it takes to bring this stuff into a healthcare market and the joys and heartaches of that journey. And so it was to try and refine it enough, refine both the product and the message to a point where it becomes saleable. You've been a mentor since the program's inception. Why is an accelerator program like this so necessary? It's necessary for a number of reasons. The first is that there are people with really good ideas. However, it takes time to refine that and it's getting exposure to the mentors uh, that helps to refine that. And there's also process with how you do this, whether it be the, the legal side or whether it be the pitching side. There's some very tried and true ways of doing it. And so to move something to market needs a whole lot of machinery sitting behind it that works properly. So accelerators become very important in that, in that they rapidly introduce people to that machinery. And the mentors also often have a lot of contacts. And so therefore, uh, it's not just their mentor pool, it's the pool of friends that the mentors have got that they can then introduce them to. So it's about moving a product into market because this market is moving really fast and it's not a market where you can sit and think for two, three, five years. You've really got to be moving fairly fast and keep people excited as you move along or else someone else may come along and swallow you up. So you, you really need an accelerator so you can accelerate your speed to market. How have you seen the program evolve? The 
program's got in many ways more mature as time has gone along is that the maturity in the applications has improved. The view of the world as to what will work and what will not is improving. It varies from group to group, as, as you would understand, is that each company is slightly different. We're starting to see a few more mature companies, or they're not completely mature, but people who have already got product in a position in the market and are looking to move faster than what they were previously. We're starting to see a few of those come in as well, which is also both interesting and helps both in terms of the program, but also they help each other within the space. There's a lot of, I'll call it cross-mentoring going on between the participants. And so the more diversity, and that's diversity particularly in terms of where they are in their business space, the more diversity you've got in that space, more of that cross-mentoring can also occur. You're listening to Health Tech Talks, a podcast series delivered by Lumina. To find out more about Lumina, visit the website luminagoldcoast.com.au and sign up today to receive your Lumina Opportunities Pack. What have you seen in terms of outcomes? A lot of the outcomes are slow to occur and the reason is that health is very slow. Health is very risk averse and in the world of the startup, the the valley of death can be long. And so we make sure that people have that expectation in their heads from the outset that this can, the valley of death can be three to five years. They need to be aware of that and therefore they may need to continue to pivot because the market changes, the technology changes, so therefore they they will need to change alongside it as it occurs. So it's a slightly different way to what they may be used to, which is create a product and just go out and market it. You've just got to keep running with it. We're seeing people starting to understand that, but at the same time we're starting to see more people internal to health starting to realise that not all the good ideas may be coming from within health, a lot of them may be coming from outside. And there's starting to be an appetite to engage more at that space. So I think that we're seeing people coming along with better ideas, better formed, but we're also seeing the market itself mature as more startups come to market themselves and therefore they bring more opportunity. And that's becoming a success breeds success concept. So I think that we're going to see this market continue to grow and healthcare to continue to engage more and more in the space. And Brent, what trends are you seeing in in health tech startups? Health tech startups are definitely jumping on the AI wave and I think it's a very good wave to be on. The workforce has got to a point in healthcare that we're getting close to where we're at, peak workforce. Why? Because the change in demographics and most Western countries' populations is such that the number of people joining the workforce is not that far off the number of people leaving the workforce. So we're at a point where we are going to struggle to meaningfully grow our workforce at the very time in healthcare when the healthcare needs are growing. And that's both the number of patient episodes is growing. It's growing at you know, 5 to 7% a year with an ageing, relatively healthy but ageing population. So that's growing and also the amount of information we've got to process per individual, per encounter is growing. And so there's that doubling of need around the work in that space. And if we don't have the workforce to cope with that, then we've got to find other methods. So a lot of that's going to be based around AI to help us with that core productivity so that we can actually deliver the care that we want to because we're getting close to the point that it may be AI-assisted technology or AI-assisted care or we don't get to the care. 
because we just don't have the workforce to deliver it. What about the success rate of health tech startups? Health tech startups have a lower success rate than other startups, and it's because of the time it takes to get to market. That valley of death is long, and so you need to be slightly better funded or come in where you've got some initial market penetration already. Mm-hmm. So there's something that you can deliver and run with. And we've certainly tried to achieve that with a few companies. But the, the success rate is not high, but it's not high in any startup you tend to come into. It's a space where people really do want to come and work. I've had startups come to me and say, look, I'd rather be working on healthcare than improving you know, click-throughs on ads. And you go, well, yes, that's understandable, but <laughs> the, the pathway is going to be a lot longer and a lot more challenging. And it, it's not that you may not have a good idea. It's just difficult to get the penetration. And some of it, that there's quite a big gap in terms of knowledge in healthcare. If you talk in the tech space, which is where a lot of these startups are, is that the cutting edge of tech has moved a long way in the last few years, and particularly with AI and large language models. And it's moved a lot faster than most people in health have seen. And so what seems very straightforward to people who are technologically literate is seen as impossible by many people in health and bridging that gap of knowledge as to what's possible and what's achievable is actually remarkably difficult. What support then do these startups need to really get them there? I think firstly they need good mentorship so that's there and I think that we really need healthcare organisations to look at working with a lot of these startups in a partnership arrangement. Previously wrote a white paper for, for government which was on moving from procurement to partnership because I felt that that was how we needed to move the needle forward in this. Queensland government have come out and said that 25% of all government expenditure should should be on startups and SMEs. It's never really happened and I would really like to see that happen because then that's keeping the knowledge economy growing in Queensland, it's developing the people in that space where we need them developed and it keeps growing that as an industry and we desperately need that industry to grow and grow fast within Queensland so that we can keep building success on top of success. We need healthcare particularly to look at these as partnership opportunities and tapping into intelligent potential that they may not otherwise be able to tap into. Not that they don't want to have that within their own organisations, but there just isn't enough people on the ground to do that. And Brent, how does what you're seeing here compare with what's happening internationally? Internationally, there are places where it's working very well. So places like Texas Medical Centre do a really good job. However, if you look broadly, it's all still little pockets like this. And as what it takes is for a group of people to take that leap and that's a combination of you know, government founders and people who want to do it and believe in it as a way forward to jump in and run the hard yards. I think that Australia generally is not very well supported and funded in this space unlike what it is for example particularly in the US and I'd certainly like to see more support because I think this is the level of disruptive innovation that we need which is going to deal with this challenge of our demographic change which is not quite bubbling to the top as yet but it's what I want is for that transition to happen in a smooth way rather than we suddenly hit a a demographic cliff and then we have to move very fast and so I'd rather make this a, a more gentle transition. 
And Brent, what types of health tech startups do you think we need here in Australia? I think that we have the opportunity to build a lot of AI-based products. I think that we're at a point where building things like molecules, which pharma are doing, that's very much in the big company realm. Whereas I think working with data and working with AI products, and that's not necessarily building your own, I'll call it large language model associated with AI, but it's working out how to fine tune those large language models and then to apply them to specific industry verticals. So Australia's got a very homogeneous industry landscape and a very homogeneous legislative landscape. And so there's a reasonable amount of opinion is that we might be the best place to test a lot of things. And that doesn't mean we just take stuff from overseas and test it, but we create, or call it that next tier of product, which is built on the basis of fundamental AI technologies, let's say. And then we show that we can rapidly bring those into an organisation and we can prototype them and we can refine them and we can do the research around them to show that they actually work. So particularly in healthcare, we've got a very homogeneous healthcare system as much as we might fight about as to which hospital's better or which department's better. The reality is that it's a very high quality and yet homogeneous healthcare system. And I think that we could be a major driver for healthcare improvement for the rest of the world if we harness that energy and harness that capability. Why have you continued to be a mentor in the program? I probably feel like I get more than I give. It's really great to be exposed to the energy, the drive, the ideas, and it's interesting to listen to the ideas, not just look at the idea itself, because the idea itself was often either very good or needs a bit of work, but also it then pushes me to think, okay, and then what? And then what's next? And what can we do? And so it's always good to have that conversation to get more people to the table who are thinking in that out of the box, how can I use the technology? How can I make this better? And every one of them, you look and you go, that's really interesting. We often say is that a lot of discovery is not a eureka moment. It's a, oh, that's interesting. And you have a, that's an interesting moment. And then you move it along. And you'll often go on a path of discovery with the company so that they're discovering and you're discovering as well. And so I think that that opportunity is really great. Yeah, learning and challenging for everyone. We are doing our interview today, Brent, from the Lumina Precinct, which is an awesome health precinct here on the Gold Coast, and it's co-located with Gold Coast University Hospital, Griffith Uni, and the private hospital. Are there other types of companies you'd like to see co-locate here? Certainly I'd like to see more in the data space which are not just people collecting data but are working with the data who are much more using the AI-based tools and how we can bring those AI-based tools in. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the AI space. Um, We've already got some companies here who are working in the AI space, which is both supporting the development of the AI and working in the AI space. And I think there's a real opportunity to concentrate a lot of that in this precinct. AI is not just fancy products like reading x-rays, although that's clearly a place that we want to be, but it's there's a whole lot of supporting infrastructure you can build which becomes much more efficient and much better if you build AI into it and build on the AI. So I would certainly want to see more in that AI space. The AI space needs data, it needs people bringing the data in, it needs people managing the data and then continuously improving on the data such that therefore it becomes easier and easier to build the AI but then once you build the AI you've got to get your AI into production and keep it in production and so therefore people working in that, how do I get this 
technology into production and keep it in production, which is much more challenging than most companies and, dare I say, healthcare understand. And so the more I can see that entire chain of events or you know, chain of supply for uh, AI-based products, the better. And finally, Brent, what is your advice for health tech startups looking to commercialise their ideas? Get alongside a clinical group as much as you can. Find a problem worth solving, which has got a demonstrable return on investment. Understand that you can build a product for one group, but always make sure you build a product which is able to be scaled and able to be pivoted somewhat without too much effort. Because if you over-customise for your first customer, you can then end up with a product that's hard to take to your second customer. So you need to be quite agile and get used to moving reasonably fast, but understand it's going to be a lot slower than what you want. That is excellent advice, Brent. Thank you so much for talking with us this morning. Thank you. To learn more about Lumina and how we work with health tech startups, visit luminagoldcoast.com.au. And don't forget to sign up to receive your Lumina Opportunities Pack today.